All right, I'm here with John Mayo. He is author, entrepreneur, and coach. John, welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, thank you so much, Joel. Appreciate being here. Excited to jump into things with you, man. You got a great book known as Be Relentless. Um, and, and, you know, that's a popular title, I feel like. these. I think like David Goggins, you, you hear a lot about this. But what I love about you is just your, you know, I have a, we have a common uh, thread, if you will, a common bond. Just um, I was never a veteran in the sense of, you know, in the military. But just that first responder community is somebody in I understand it after being 15 years as a police officer. Like I get that world very well. And I think, you know, you and I kind of vibe on that way. And what I love is just your pivot out of that world, which I know a lot of veterans, law enforcement, firefighters, they all have a very difficult time. And you kind of have like, you know, it look you have like the perfect life. It looks like everything's working well <laughs> post life, but it always wasn't that way. Right. So just kind of catch us up to speed and like where you were and, and, and that process. Cause it, it wasn't easy. No, no, nothing is uh, easy. The things can be simple. And I think that there's a big difference between easiness and simplicity, uh, but we don't have to dive into that right now. So I was doing very well in my career, military speaking, well, I was like professionally, uh, but I came to this realization that I was not a unified person and that morally and in certain elements of my life, I was becoming something I did not want to be by no fault of the militaries, but by fault of my own inexperience, naivety, and uh, you know, immaturity. So th there was this moment of awareness where my son kind of helped me realize this. And that was a real pivotal point. And how old was, was your son, John, when he helped you create this? He moment was three. Of, uh -huh, three. He was three. And um, he was having nightmares, like very dark by adult standards, uh, incredibly dark uh, nightmares consistently, like every night. And, and one night after those nightmares, I was just kind of frustrated. Well, I was extremely frustrated. And I was like, why in the heck are my, is my son being afflicted by this? Right. And, um, uh, I, I'm a person of faith. And, and in that moment, I kind of got this response. It's like, because you've abdicated your responsibility. That's why. And that was the moment for me. That was quite a catalyst, right? So uh, I, I took that very seriously and uh, began taking dramatic actions to change who I was holistically in every element of my life. And part of that was to choose to leave the military because though I loved serving and though I was doing very well, I was gone 90 plus percent of the time. And I realized that I had one shot over the next 15 years with my four sons and I had one shot at making this marriage work. And that for me as an individual, I needed to choose. So I did, we got out and, uh, that began, you know, this, uh, journey of transition where a lot of veterans at least understand from the conversations I've had, it feels like once you, like one, it kind of feels like you're piercing this veil getting out, right? Because it's hard to imagine what's on the other side. The military is an incredibly well-designed uh, complex that that has tons of purpose and drive and psychological elements to it that make you feel as part of something, even if you hate it. But then also uh, it makes it hard to understand like what life is like on the other side. And so one, just getting out is kind of fun. And typically the primary concern when you're getting out is providing, right? Like how am I going to eat or how am I going to provide for my family, depending on your circumstances? So uh, that was it for the first you know, year leading up to getting out, for six months getting out. It was all focused on how do I take care of the five people I'm responsible for, right? But then something interesting began to happen. Uh, after six months, right, the dust kind of settles. You start to provide and you know, start to get into the rhythm with everything. And you start to feel the absence of the camaraderie and you start to feel the absence of the purpose, that can that comes with military or being a first responder as well. I know like that protect and serve the you're that line, right? Those those elements are are strong and they can be defining. 
Um, and, and I realized that I could either continue on what I call the default path and keep working out a little bit less, keep drinking a little bit more and not really understand what I was pursuing at that point, despite having made huge life changes up to that point for a reason, or I could get very uncomfortable and start really doing some work on understanding my motivations, who I am, what's broken, what needed mended, what, and what I could do moving forward. And, and, um, that work began about six, nine months after getting out. And then, you know, three years later, I wrote, I finished the book, uh, be relentless that you just mentioned. And then a lot of things have happened, uh, across that journey, but that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Okay. So when you, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you get out of the, the military and what, what was your game plan? Like, because I think that's a big thing. It's like, okay, I got to have a plan B, right? Plan B. Cause I, it's, again, you're providing for five people. So there needs to be this kind of security safety blanket that the military offered you. You're leaving that. And this is, could be used for anybody if they're leaving a job and they're like, I'm going to go start my own business or whatever. It's exciting, mm -hmm. but it's terrifying. So <laughs> what were you doing? Because then you said, well, actually I didn't start doing the deep work to like six to nine months after I would have thought you did the deep work already and then left. So what were some of the steps that, uh, what was your, I guess, what was your plan? What was your plan when you were getting out? Like what were you going to do to provide? And then the other thing is, what took you so long? I'm surprised you didn't do the deep work already. So what was some of that deep work that you started doing that gave you that, ah, this is what was missing. This was filling the mm -hmm. void that the military didn't shine light on. I knew I felt empty at the military. I didn't know why. Now I know. Yeah. So there, there's a lot in there. So I'll do my best to, to do it in, in a manner that works. Um, one op tempo and capability, the deep work began with a huge decision, right? When I realized it, it took me about a month to reflect on what I had learned in that evening and, and kind of what I began to unpack from that evening. And that's when I ultimately made the decision. I was out at the National Training Center in California, and I called my wife after coming out of the box, which is like, you know, one of the, the pinnacle training events you'll do in a year leading up to deployment. And I was like, hey, I think we need to go, right? So, so th there was work along the way, but I don't think that the significant heavy lifting deep work started until later in that after six months because uh, Maslow's hierarchies, right? The first four, that was priority. My, my priority, once I made the decision, it was like, okay, make huge sweeping changes that change the trajectory and then make sure we don't die before we get to the opportunity to do further growth, right? right. So uh, once we determined to leave, you know, I did begin doing work, but also there was a lot of work to do. So uh, it, it, it took a lot of time and in many ways still is in, in the process. But um, once the decision to leave was made, I still had all my responsibilities in the leadership positions that I held. I still had my responsibilities to pr do everything that I need to do. So the plan in getting out, one, uh, depending on when you drop your packet to leave, uh, the military is strange in that you can have quite a long runway to getting out. So I was over a year out when I dropped the packet and made it formally known that I was not staying. So that provided some time, but I still had a lot of work to do in my day job there, right? Uh, but then I, I began, I, I partnered with a, a firm that helps transitioning veterans prepare for job interviews and things like that. So I began putting in the work to learn how to translate what I knew in militaries to the civilian population and how to do that to like multiple industries. And that was really my focal point all the way to leaving. There was no safety net. There's no like A plus B equals C every time, right? So th there's no guarantee that when you take risk, it's going to work out. And I didn't have an understanding of what I was going to do once out until 
sub 30 days of being out. And, and thankfully I was able to be afforded the opportunity to pursue some of those things while in, and there's a lot of people who aren't. So th there's just this matter of once you make a I had to make a decision that was right for my family and myself. My wife and I had to be in unity on that decision. And then after that, I had to figure it out while I went. And that's precisely what we did as far as the steps uh, leading up in the plan, right? But I put in a lot of work. I put in hours a week and the closer we got, the more work I put in to be prepared to excel when put in, in front of opportunities that could create provision on the outside. And um, ultimately that's what happened, right? Went to a conference and was able to go through the motions there, uh, entertained a couple offers, picked picked one to start with. And that's how we created the provision upon exit. It was just kind of following a step at a time, what you could see right in front of you and putting in the work today. Um, you know, a, a fun way to look at it is holding fervently to the path for forward progress, but holding loosely to the outcome. I didn't need to have the outcome defined. I just need to know what work was to be done in front of me. And then that produced at least uh, an anti-panic uh, response, right? Because yeah. I knew what to do with my hands in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, that makes sense because I, when I think of, especially just military police, you know, mission is very mission oriented and, you know, you have that pace plan, you know, what's your primary, what's your, uh, what's your primary plan? What's your, you know, tertiary plan, contingency plan, emergency plan, all of that. So it's just funny. When, uh, part of me was like, did, did he not have a plan? Like, it sounds like you kind of, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll just go with it. But no, you, you, there was some calculated steps. What advice do you give? Just like, what's one big piece of advice you would tell to the veterans and the people leaving that I'm sure there's a lot like you, but then like you said, it's a big jump. It's a big risk. Mm -hmm. When you go from uh, being told what to do on a show up at this time, do this, do your job. Like that's a good day's work. And then all of a sudden you're your own freaking boss. Maybe if you're becoming an entrepreneur out of the, out of the gates, that's a big shift mentally. The the mindset shift is different going from a nine to five punching the clock to I'm a, I'm the CEO of my life. That's a huge shift. What, what have you learned and what would you pass on to others? Like you got to understand this first. I think that's all a working hypothesis. This is an experiment we're working in first of all. Uh, and, and then second, it's, it's just like there, there's only, so much value in over planning that it's not good to waste uh, leadership capacity or energy on the unknown. So I could have made some crazy plan. I was a planner. I, I, I did battalion and brigade level planning and operations and uh, fires coordination. So like I knew how to do that. I, I knew MDMP. I, I knew all that stuff. But, but there's a point where it's like you understand with the pace plan and all those other things. The approach I've taken to simplify it even more like kind of mid stride here is Make a plan that's simple enough to be effective, but resilient enough to adjust and respond to circumstances well. And that's precisely what I did. So it can seem kind of laissez-faire, but yeah, like every plan fails the second you get punched in the face or take first contact. So uh, how much better if you can be, if you can focus all of your energy on being infinitely prepared to respond well and know what trajectory you need to travel, what direction you need to travel and have an understanding of what milestones or specific, you know, touch points may look like along the way, but then otherwise keep it incredibly agile and intentionally informed along the process. So uh, I, I would say that the mindset shift needs to occur first, that it's going to be a lot of unknown and accepting that, right? Because uh, one way we could look at it is 
situations aren't stressful. No, situations aren't good or bad, right? Same with emotions. We assign the meaning to them. So what typically makes a, a situation feel stressful is that we've misinterpreted what that situation should be. And therefore, our response to it is not in line with our expectation. So I'd say if someone's going to be looking at getting out, change your expectations to a lot of unknown and see if you can accept like this lens of radical response, uh, radical curiosity, excuse me, because if you can become curious about it, it changes it from this negative stressfulness to this, huh, that's interesting and wild. And I had no idea. And let me explore it. Right. And, um, I would say if you, the more you can begin cultivating radical curiosity, uh, when going to make the decision, uh, the better. And then the second thing is once you realize that you're no longer serving at hundred percent, because whether you're a first responder or responder or in the military, what have you, once you realize like, I'm miserable. This isn't for me. I can't change myself to fix this. You know, get out. Because the, one of the worst things I think is when you see, like when I watch my peers or something, feel trapped because they're afraid to get out, uh, feel trapped because they don't know what getting out looks like, or they feel trapped and they're just freaking miserable. They, they make the entire military worse uh, because of that misery breeds misery. And they aren't enjoying their life. So it's like, once you realize that you're not serving out of love anymore and out of duty, bear up under the weight and make the decision to do something so that you can continue to serve where you are serving from love, where you are serving from duty and responsibility to create value and to build a stronger family and community. Because when you're serving and you're able to do that in those, in those uh, organizations, good, right? But the second that changes and you realize that you can't course correct back, it's time to go, regardless of how uncomfortable it makes you. And, and that's one of the things that I'm a, a heavy advocate of, of service doesn't stop when we leave and you don't have to serve to like, you don't have to be in the military or first responder to serve. We all have a responsibility to create strong communities. And the only way we can effectively do that is by first and foremost, fixing ourselves, working on ourselves, making our strongly and uh, our, our family and home unit stronger. And then from the outpouring of that sanctuary uh, and place of peace, can we begin to properly influence the surrounding ecosystems that we're a part of, but that is our responsibility for every single one of us. And we have to bear up under that weight and do something because if we don't, then the freedom, the luxuries, the opportunities that we enjoy, uh, we may get enjoy, but our children very likely may not. And that's actually one of the primary driving things from that moment of awareness to now is I'm concerned that if we don't take deliberate intentional action daily, with ourselves, in our homes, in our communities, that our children will not have the opportunity born of freedom that we've experienced and enjoyed for generations in this country. And I'm seeking to see who else sees that, who else is concerned about that. And then additionally, I'm offering myself as like, hey, here's the best stab at working to create value, to create a solution, to create strong interconnected communities to help solve that. Yeah. Dude, love that. Talk uh, talk about in Relentless, you talk about this equation for progress, which I really like. Um, talk about that. You you mentioned three big things, intentional living, relentless action, and this concept called Sisu. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Yeah. I've never heard of that. So enlighten us. You say if you do these three things, you will have progress. And I actually just posted something on Instagram the other day, like uh, the opposite of progress is like regression. And if you're not, and if you're regressing, then like you ain't moving forward. And when you, when you are regressing, usually that stagnation creates a lot of despair, isolation, and um, problems. 
obviously, mm-hmm. as you know. So, so talk about that formula that those three, those three parts that equal progress. Yeah, absolutely. And there's thousands of equations, right? This is one I'm just mighty fond of, and that's why I penned it. But uh, intentionality has to start. That, that's the beginning and why, because if, if we're not being intentional, what, what the heck is intentional anyways? It means we're being purposeful. It means that we're taking the time to consider that which we're doing. Well, why the heck does that matter? Well, it means you're thinking. That's the bottom line. If you're being intentional with the decisions and how you're living and you're, in, you're enhancing your intentionality, it means that you're aware of why am I eating this? Why am I drinking this? Why am I on the phone this long? Why am I enter X here, right? Everything in your life we're doing for a reason. And most of what we do is unintentional and part of a habit. So the more that we can begin to shine this light that illuminates our consciousness on the things that we do, the more control and freedom we have to make change and the more control and freedom we have to experience life and choose how it is that we will live. So that's why intentionality is so important. Uh, Once we become aware of something, right? Because we can't be faulted for nor do anything about something we're not aware of. Uh, we have to do something to change it or to main, or to protect it in line with that which we desire. And that's where the relentless action comes in. Let us relentlessly continue forward, relentlessly being, you will not stop me. Like the waves on the seashore, it's just going to keep coming. And uh, until my I draw my last breath, I will not stop, right? And then finally, uh, Sisu is a finished concept that essentially, uh, essentially, Sisu begins where grit ends. And... What's wonderful about Sisu is it, it it's this beautiful term that's a universal capacity that encapsulates both the American spirit, the industriousness, the creativity, the go forth and conquer and transform frontiers of obstacles and, and make them into landscapes of opportunity. It, it, it's all of that, but it's also this spirit of indomitability, grit, bravado, tenacity, like just, like I said, the American spirit mixed with a whole bunch of steel, you know, you're just not going to be able to break this. And that has to be cultivated and how, well, you have to be intentional. You have to take relentless action. And part of that relentless action must be aimed at doing really hard things that make you indomitable, that make you tough, have grit, have merit, tenacity, all those things being Sisu. And if you do that over time, it creates progress. Yeah. Is there anything that you try to do on on that note, uh, that Sisu in that sense Mm -hmm. of, you know, taking that hard action, doing things that are difficult. Is there something, do you, do you do anything on a daily basis where you try to cultivate that Sisu? I mean, you know, obviously now at the rage is ice bath, but it doesn't have to be that. I mean, is there mm-hmm. just something that you're like, Hey, every day I'm going to do something difficult so that I'm kind of checking off that Sisu and knowing that I am working towards progress. Yeah, absolutely. I train every day, 365 days a year. Uh, that, that training varies about once, twice a week. I do do an ice bath, especially in the winter because my ice bath is, uh, controlled by the elements, right? So winter is my season for ice bathing. And, uh, but, but I do jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. I do strongman and strength training. I do a lot of hit conditioning. I did a 14 or this last weekend. So every day, something, even if it's a, in, uh, and I typically wake up at three 30. Uh, I, I do have a window. It's not, I don't, I'm not, uh, like married to needing to wake up at three 30, but typically it's three 30 to four 30. I'm getting up with the exception of Sundays, which are my wife's time. So uh, or my time for me to invest in my wife and family. So every single day I'm training period. And then I'm also waking up early and I'm also ensuring that I'm doing certain things throughout the day, uh, to accomplish tasks, but also that may make me uncomfortable. And that may look as different as like going to an in-person networking event. If I realize I've been in the basement too long, right. Or, uh, different things, but yeah, at minimum, uh, I think that because we are 
physical creatures and we can't divorce our mind from the fact that we're trapped in a flesh bag. That one of the best symbolic votes of exercising sovereignty over ourselves is to make the physical body do something. And that's where that training comes in on a daily basis. Yeah, dude, I love that. I love that. Uh, and, um, my question too, you know, getting up at three thirty, is that, is that, do you do that just because it's like a habit of you, maybe from the military or is it actually difficult for you to do? And by getting, cause obviously some people like that. And I did that for a long time. I would get up at four thirty. I actually, I still do, but the idea was this is difficult and I want to start my day off already like in a sense with a win of like, I already know I did something challenging and difficult that I didn't want to do, but I did it anyways. Do you do this? Is that kind of the same reason? Uh, for, for a time that that was the case about two years ago, two and a half years ago, I, I began waking up far earlier than I used to. And at first that was a, a build the discipline, right? Re recreate that. Sisu. But at this point, it's more that I don't have any other option if I, if I want to accomplish that, which I prioritize and I want to protect the time with my family that I've set intentionally aside, uh, then the only choice I have is to wake up early or stay up later. And I prefer to wake up early and get after it. Right. So at, at this point, I, I would say it absolutely started like that. I, I remember waking up at four 30 was like, Ugh, when I started this, uh, intentional pursuit a few years ago. I was like, oh man, I don't want to do this. Uh, and now 3.30 is pretty good. I, I experimented with 2.30 for a while. I don't advise that. I hated it. It was terrible. Um, and I saw no benefit and I started to see diminishing returns. So I adjusted back to 3.30. And additionally, I'd say like, if it's not necessary in line with your goals, don't punish yourself unnecessarily to create that which you desire, because uh, I, I don't want the one-sided, you know, like, hardcore, like, yeah, I'll just wake up at three 30. No, like I have a buddy I train with four or five times a week and he typically wakes up at four 30, but for a week or two, he's waking up at three 30. I asked him, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I just, you know, I, I've been enjoying like the mental victory. He's like, okay, but like, what are you doing with that time? He's essentially wasting it. And I was like, well, dude, sleep, be with your wife, wake up for something. And that's one of the best things I can advocate now is all these goals, right? Like it's okay to start by wanting just to cultivate discipline for discipline's sake, because without that you're screwed. But once you've cultivated discipline for discipline's sake, you now have the capacity to pursue the creation of something. So create and allow that pursuit to drive you and to fill that time that you would otherwise be investing it elsewhere. Yeah. Great stuff. And I, I, it's funny. I think I went through the same transition, by the way, I was waking up at four, four thirty. And then I started waking up at five, five thirty, because I'm like, am I really being more productive? I wanted to ask myself that. And now I've come back to the four thirty time and it actually feels effortless. I don't mm -hmm. feel like I'm I'm not I don't wake up at four thirty now thinking like, oh yeah, I'm a badass. Like <laughs> I did that. Like it's just kind of a thing I do now. And I and I and I do it because like you said, I feel more productive. I get more done before the kids get up and then it allows me more time to end the day earlier and be with them. So it has nothing to do with like, look at me, Jocko, 4.30, check in my time, you know? Uh, and by the way, that's great that Jocko does that. I think he motivates a lot of people. So anyways, um, also in the book, you talk about time. This is a big concept that comes up with a lot of first responders and men that I coach. Work-life balance. Joel, how do I get more work-life balance? And you have this beautiful quote in the book that I love and by Latsu. And, and he says, I don't, I don't have time is like saying, I don't want to. Time mm -hmm. is a created thing. I freaking love that. 
talk about your experience with time and priorities and how you, I think, kind of came to the same realization. When people say, I don't have time, or how do I balance work-life balance with a family and work? What do you say to them? Hmm. All right. So first of all, I'd say that uh, when you say that you don't have time or you're busy, you're taking the weak shortcut and you're not taking responsibility for the decisions you're making. So let that sink in, right? Really think about that. Because if I tell my buddy, hey, bud, I'm not prioritizing going to this party. I'm not prioritizing going to do X with you today, which is what I tell my friends. You can call them and ask them, like, hey, this is not going to be a priority. I love you, though. Uh, that takes a lot more discomfort for me to say than, hey, man, I'm busy. They know I'm busy. They, they know that I'm very intentional with my time. But I take the ownership of saying like, hey, I love you. Can we do this instead? Or uh, let's look forward to this instead because at this time, that's, I, I'm not going to prioritize that because these things are where I need to spend my time. And what's amazing is now the friend group that I'm close with, my inner circle, they use the same language. Hey, do you guys want to do this? Hey, man, it happened this last weekend before going on the 14 or I was talking to a buddy and uh, I was like, hey, how about if I came up tonight and we could hang out? And he's like, hey, I'm not going to prioritize that. I'm investing in my wife tonight. We have a date. And I said, fantastic, right? Beautiful. Like, I loved it. It made me so happy. And um, so on the prioritization thing and on on the time thing, I'd say just take more ownership of your life and realize that's not that you're busy. It's that you're being undisciplined. It's that you're not uh, looking at your time with intention. You're not, uh, and you're not comfortable enough or willing to be uncomfortable enough to state the truth, which is if you really cared, you'd be there. If you or and, and care is not the right word. If you really wanted to be there, you'd be there. If it was a priority, you would be. So even at least at minimum in your own mind, say, is this a priority? Uh, because that will help you to better understand how you're spending your time. And then the second piece on, on balance, I think balance is a lie uh, and crap. There, there's no work-life balance. It's There's just you and there's just life, period. You're, you're the same Joel. I'm the same John when I'm working as when I'm at home. So like I, th this concept of work-life balance, I, I think is uh, fallacious and misleading from the start. The, the better question is, how will I prioritize my time in such a manner that when I lay down at night, I'm content with how the day was invested? And like, the, you know, how you spend your time is going to be directly, directly commensurate with what you prioritize and what you want to do with your time. So there's a lot of work to do and there's a billion scenarios on how that can play out. But the, this idea of like, how do I get more work-life balance? Stop. You're already pursuing something that's broken and not true. So stop. And the two want busy. Okay. Stop once again and take some time to look in the mirror and begin exercising some ownership of your bloody life because the freedom is yours. So this is good news, right? It may sound a little harsh or pointed, but the, the truth of the matter is it's good news. If you were just so busy that you couldn't make adjustments and couldn't make changes, if you couldn't, rectify the fact that there is no work-life balance, it's just you and it's just life, then you might as well go off yourself because you're a victim and helpless and there's nothing you can do. You're just except go through the motions until you die. But the good news is that is not the case. The good news is that we do have sovereignty. We do have the ability to make adjustments and changes, and we do have the freedom and capability to make those adjustments, even if they're minor and, and they take a long time to implement. And that type of radical responsibility and extraordinary ownership is necessary if you actually desire change from what you're currently experiencing. So, so powerful what you said, because I think I agree language. We, man, language can really be, not only is it powerful, but it can, it can deny us of responsibility very easily. And mm -hmm. it's so little and nuanced and subconscious. We don't even realize it's just a rote response that we've, 
you know, develop through the culture that we're in. It's like, oh, I'm too busy. That's just a normal response. But it be it becomes a habit. And the brain is not even thinking. It's like, oh, yeah, I can't do that. It's too, too busy. Or I'll just say I'm too busy. But there, you're not actually thinking about it. You're not actually being intentional of like, why am I too busy? When you start asking yourself that you change the words you use, no, the real reason is I'm not prioritizing it. Mm-hmm. And when you have to forcefully say that, A, that's a good thing because of the responsibility. But then it also forces you to ask, well, why am I not? And if it's just, I don't want to, I don't want to do it, then that's okay. Or it's like, you didn't, I don't have time because I didn't make time. Either way, you're going to get some huge revelation. So I, dude, that's amazing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. And uh, go ahead. The, the last thing on that, I think it helps you better love period. Because if I say no to a friend to do something and I go invest that time with my wife, how much more does she feel love knowing that I intentionally made that decision? Or, you know, if the circumstances are swapped for whatever reason, it, we, there's only one resource that we cannot create and that's time. And so the manner in which we invest every second, the fact that we're spending this time mutually together right now, right? That, that's an investment we can never get back. There's nothing we can do to reclaim this. Whereas value on the other hand is infinitely creatable. So, and money can be re-earned. So like when, when we look at things, um, just really looking at it through that lens of, that it's not meaningless how I spend these next few seconds, these next few minutes or hours. It's the only thing I have to give. And that's kind of the, why it's so bloody important to (laughs) begin revealing the decisions we're making by saying, is it a priority? Because it's really just a magnifying glass on our own conscience to see how it is that we're living. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. In your, in your book, uh, relentless, the, the title, it says, if obstacles is the way, then we must be waymakers. Mm-hmm. You've got this amazing community that you've created, and it's it's really uh, expanding and growing rapidly. Talk about the waymaker community and what just what what, what you're really excited about. Yeah, absolutely. So, the I, I'm very excited about the waymaker community. It started last Monday, so we're we're just over a weekend. It's taken a long time to get to this point, and uh, everything that I do is kind of pointing at this one idea of the subtitle you just read, and also this idea that I alluded to earlier on how can we create the future we desire today, right? How can we begin safeguarding the future we desire today? And the Waymaker community is an invitation for people to fellowship and walk together in their pursuit of their ideals in their best form of self. And it has two primary objectives. First, the Waymaker community uh, works to empower Americans to pursue significance, create immense value, and build strong communities. And second, a personal passion topic within that is it works to equip veterans to reclaim their purpose post-service, define their second mission because that falls to them, and then pursue it uh, and and succeed in pursuing it. And then I'll, I'll do a little teaser here, something I'm working on as well with my team is how do we really call out fathers in this also? Because we hit the individual and the American, we hit the, uh, the veteran, but like such a core element in, in one of the catalyzing starting points for all of this for me is the uh, beautiful responsibility of fatherhood and how our children actually give us the opportunity to lead better lives and they're not an encumbrance. Uh, an encumbrance. That's more an immature mentality. So uh, working on how to feather that in. So this that's a special uh, Joel Evans sneak peek only type of idea there. But yeah, nice. that, that's a community in a nutshell. Okay. You said a lot there, just so you know, and um, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be honest. It sounds too good to be true. You know, it's like, oh, and then we're going to empower them and then they're going to, you know, be, be better veterans and better dads and better businessmen. Okay. 
That sounds great. John, how though? Like, yeah. how are you doing this? How are you creating this transformation in this community? Absolutely. Uh, so first, no one's coming to save you. It always has been, always will be 100% on you. So get to work. And this is not a freaking charity. It's not a nonprofit. Uh, if you have an entitlement mentality where you think that you get, should get something, we're not for you, period. This is for those who realize that if they don't make a change uh, or if they don't start paying forward, that their life is not going to be what it could be. And that scares them, right? Uh, so what, what's cool about it is there, there's a couple tiers, and I'll just focus on, on the two most important ones. One, the open source community. Uh, everything that we're talking about, I give away for free. My book, I just dropped to the lowest possible price on Amazon for the uh, digital version so that anyone can have the book without a barrier to entry of cost. Uh, unfortunately, it's like the lowest they will let you go is $2.99. So I dropped it to $2.99. I was hoping to make it a dollar or free. But everything there uh, is given freely away because I believe so heavily in the mission and in the purpose that we're working to do, I don't want cost to be something that's barrier to entry. So the open source community is the invitation to come in, learn all that stuff, gain access to it and go freely forth and apply it in your own life. And then the other end of the spectrum is the Waymaker membership, which is, you know, obviously the top tier in the Waymaker community. And in addition to Sophia AI, which is part of the Waymaker uh, AI projects that I've been doing, in addition to um, some discounts over at the universal learning approach and a bunch of other cool things, the primary function that comes with the Waymaker community is that you will gain access to your own Forge cohort. And the Forge is a, a small group of men, five to nine, uh, that goes through daily community together. You have to contribute every day to the group that you're in. And it's, I won't go into all the details here just for the sake of time for us, but it's meant to go with the fluctuations of life from you're walking through hell to you're hard charging the peak of a mountain, right? But the standard will not be broken. And if you do not contribute for that day, you are removed from that group and you may earn your way back in. Uh, and then you have to be voted back in by a group as well, or you can try another forge depending on the circumstances, should that not work out. But those small groups, that intentional community, that investment in getting to know one another and that investment in self to take daily action and vote towards who it is you wanna become has been the catalyzing factor in the changes that we're seeing made in the lives of those who are uh, participating in this. And what's beautiful about it, once again, is there's no cure. There's no magic. There's no, there's no, um, you know, magic switch or any of that jazz. No, it's just very simple and unsexy in that you have to put in the work and you don't have to do it alone. And that invitation to not be alone and that invitation to a framework to help do the work more effectively is what's been very effective in doing precisely that. But to be very clear, the work will always start with the self. Because until we put ourselves in order and then begin serving concentric circles outward into our family and communities, it, it's going to be like building a house on a bad foundation. So wherever you're on your journey, whether you're someone who wants to pay forward because you've done this work or whether you are someone who is like right at the start, this community affords different options to participate so that we can do that work together and be very intentional on how it is we're creating and shaping the future for the next generation and for the rest of our lives. 
The people that join in the membership, the paid membership, are is there a course or something that's kind of created as well that they have access, like a, a some type of mini course? And then also, do they have like coaching or, or like are you kind of like leading coaching sessions and workshops on a weekly, monthly basis? I'm just trying to also kind of yeah. you know, imagine myself in this forge. Yep. So uh, building a series of podcasts to help kind of be like the the ramp for understanding, right? Something that's also critical for folks. It's not mandatory, but it's one of the reasons I made the book as cheap as I could is reading the book is going to explain the operating philosophy, the, the kind of the approach mentally to a lot of the work that we're doing. So um, th there are a lot of resources. There's also a handbook for it. There's a lot of things that have already been created or available today to help prime the pump, if you will, for what it is we're doing. And then over time, there, there's aggressive goals for, you know, courses, uh, facilitated coaching, uh, group coaching, things like that, that will be created over time. It's just not manifested yet. Uh, one thing that I'm incredibly particular about because the buck stops with me on all of this is who our facilitators are for each group. Uh, we don't have group leaders. We have group facilitators. And that's because each group is a fellowship of free men. And those facilitators are, are personally selected from those who want to participate. Right. And then we do go through uh, a weekly and biweekly meeting to see what are the friction points? What are the things that we're seeing that can be overcome? Where are the strongs? Where are the wins? Right. So that we can continue to move forward and grow together and also learn, you know, and one of the things that we just implemented uh, two weeks ago was we got feedback from a community member and there, there's opportunity from any level in the community to provide feedback, ask questions, provide recommendations, because uh, a lot of this is being done in a model that is non-centralized so that though it's supplied with resources from a centralized sphere, it does not require any centralization to prosper. And one of the feedbacks we got is like, hey, what if we did a very intentional one-on-one -on -one call once a week with one member in the group to facilitate further connection, relationship building, and like help make the group stronger? We've since implemented that not only ongoing is every member in, uh, expected to have a one-on-one -on -one with someone else in the group. Uh, and that could be 10, 15 minutes, right? It doesn't have to be crazy, but not only is that the expectation, but when a new forge is lit and started, everyone in the group is expected within the first 10 days to have intentionally pursued everyone else in the group for those one-on-ones to kind of help catalyze and launch it. And then there's, there's intentional exercise that are injected at certain timelines to help the group go from um, forming to, to performing right? Going on the four stages of forming, norming, storming, forming, storming, norming, and performing, right? Uh, there's in very intentional designed elements to help take a group of strangers objectively and make them close to the point that they're sharing uh, vulnerable elements of their life and navigating that together. So cool. Love it. It's Love a social... It. May I have one more thing, Joe, Joe, on that? Yeah, please. Because it is a social experiment. I want to be very clear because I'm speaking with a lot of passion and confidence right now, and I am confident and passionate about this, but this is an invitation to a form of a social experiment I've not seen replicated anywhere else. I've taken a lot of, uh, I've done a lot of market research on different groups, different things. This is uh, oddly unique in that it is so reliant on the community to succeed. And that is done very intentionally. And I'm happy to, if I see indicators that it has become uh, perverted or is failing in a manner that is uncorrectable, I will, I will shut it down. And that's something I have the freedom to do. But also with that is the, the true beauty of the invitation of like, hey, this is not being done unintentionally. This is not being done without knowledgeable resources, like uh, research and everything else. But it is a movement to contact, social experiment, hypothesis testing type of pursuit. Join us and let's see how successful we can make it together. And that's a really important uh, element of this, of like, hey, like it sounds too good to be true. No, well, the intentions are that. The intentions are so pure. 
But for us to make them succeed, we have to work together. So let's do that. Yeah. No, I I completely get it, and I mean I think it reminds me of this quote I heard. Um, I forget what I was reading, but they they were interviewing John Smith, who created this community I think out of Ohio, and like it was a budding community. It was like brand new, and he had to like create like from nothing to like a hundred thousand people, and he did it just very easily. And they later asked him like, "Well, how did you how did you do this? Like, how did you how did how were you like so you mean you did it with such ease too?" And he goes. He looked at them like it was simple. He said, you give people principles and you let them govern themselves. And, and that's a lot of what you're doing. You have – it's not just do whatever you want. No, there's principles and a lot of – I mean there's a lot of things you're bringing in with SOPs from the military and just a, a lot of things. And you can see um, what, what you're doing is, is, is calculated too. It's not just you – know, yeah. let's see what happens. I, I love what you just said. The, the principles are very intentionally set, but they are as unobstructive and demanding as possible – because I personally believe that we are only as strong as we're individually free. And the more freedom and individual sovereignty that we exercise in our lives, the stronger that we are as a society. So the, you just hit the nail on the head with provide principles, provide a framework, if you will, but then get the heck out of the way and allow people to govern themselves and go full throttle forward. And that's precisely what we're working to do. So that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah man. Um, I want to wrap things up, but I did want to just highlight one thing because I think I, I looked at just the supplement that you have it's called Sisu. No, no shock there. But I was looking at it and just some of the ingredients, and I'm like, wow, these are some really good ingredients, and they matter because I think you're, if I'm correct, but when I look at the ingredients, it's all about stress resilience. I think we could all use a little bit more of that in just in the community that you and I are surrounded by. Jeez, I mean, that alone needs that that support. But just briefly kind of talk about, I think, why you created this supplement, Sisu, and uh, the, the specific ingredients that you picked, you picked for it. Yeah, absolutely. So the universal learning approach, uh, ULAUniverse.com, is where you can find Sisu stamina. And that's a supplement. And my partner, Kirk, and myself uh, served together uh, back in the day in the Army. And Sisu stamina is precisely the supplement that we wish we had when we were serving, right, and are grateful to have now. And it was a painstaking process to get the powerful six ingredients that you're uh, referring to, to be in there at the dosages that we wanted, at the actual effective dosages that we wanted. We had to fire our first two manufacturers, the first two laboratories. We had to go through a very long uh, courtship process, you could say, to find the appropriate partners to bring this at the quality that it needed to be to market uh, without cutting corners and just chalking full of uh, you know fluff uh, to to not incriminate anything oddly, right? Because uh, that, and that's what that process took. But, and that's why we built it. We realized like doing 24 hour operations and anywhere that you're burning both ends of the candle with a flamethrower, right? You're, you're sacrificing tomorrow for today in some capacity. All the more so when you're just popping nicotine and caffeine, like they're going out of style. Like I, I used to flirt well above a gram a day and that was not good, right? But it was what I felt was necessary to do what I was doing. And um, that's why we created CC Stamina. What if it, it was in call to a question of what if we could create something that could not only get us through today, but help us with tomorrow, right? And that was kind of the question that we were able to identify and pursue the creation of the supplement. And the, the powerful six ingredients are Rodilia Rosia, uh, Sheila Heat, Beetroot, uh, Holy Basil, Caffeine and Theanine. And 
if you look at like the top three there, right? Beetroot, yes, helps with endurance. Uh, caffeine and L-theanine work together as a nootropic, both for an immediate boost as well as a general sense of well-being and focus. But then when you look at the the real big three, the three that excite me, Verdelia rosea, which is the small flowering uh, herb from like the the northern countries and the icy cliffs and such like that. And then you look at Shila heat, which literally translates from Sanskrit from conqueror of mountains, provider of strength. Um, and the holy basil, the, the holy basil is a strong immune boosting quality. The Shila heat is an incredibly rich mineral dense uh, compound that helps with altitude sickness, uh, immunity as well. And another uh, number of other physiological functions. But then the Rodelia rosea is, is kind of the, the golden flower, at least in my heart for the supplement and that it provides an immense level of benefits. One, uh, from at best we can tell with the body's processing of cortisol, the stress hormone, as well as a general sense of well-being and stability, as well as uh, performing bodily functions, you know, that are necessary to uh, continue the creation of life. So across these levels, it helps just all cylinders fire, right? And what's neat about the supplement is not only do you get the immediate boost, clarity of thought, and general feeling of well-being when you take CSU stamina, but after 14 days of sustained use, you begin to experience the compounding benefits of the Rodelia rosea and Shila heat because they've built up to the minimal uh, levels needed in your body to really provide a benefit. So that's some of the cool. Uh, that's amazing, man. That is very, very cool. Um, man, excited for everything that you're doing and then everything that you're up to. Um, man, so, such a great episode. Go ahead and um, I want to wrap things up, but just go ahead and kind of tell everybody where they can find you, where they can learn more about you, where they can find Sisu Stamina on all these products and just everything you're up to, the Waymaker community, everything that you're you're up to and that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I'm sure there'll be room for a link in the show notes, but uh, beyond that, if you go to yoleuniverse.com, uh, you'll be able to find Sisu Stamina, the Yole allies, and, and that's a great hub to go to to find everything else because if you'll be able to find the Waymaker community, everything else through ULA universe. If you go to the allies page and just explore through there, otherwise you can find me at Jonathan Mayo underscore on Instagram X, uh, Jonathan Mayo on LinkedIn, all those types of places. You search my name, you'll be able to find me and then ULA universe for the hub. And in the show notes, I'll have a portfolio link tree to allow for uh, the easiest means of finding everything that we've discussed today. John Mayo, appreciate you brother. Such good stuff. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.